Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It is printed in your bulletin. Let me read it for you. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Our lesson this morning is a lesson that's taken from uh, both the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke and the 25th chapter. This thing sounds tinny to me. I saw a note from some church service where the man, uh, some mountain guy said, he meant to say acoustics, and he said the agnostics in this church are terrible. <laughs> and I feel that way sometimes. I don't know what's the matter with that thing. Uh, every time I start to preach on the parable of the talents, I think of uh, a time at Columbia Seminary 30-something years ago uh, when a very country preacher came in and preached on this uh, uh, particular parable. When he spoke on it, he said uh, that uh, he had gone as a new pastor to a church and had asked all of the people in the church who had talents uh, to come and talk with him about whatever contribution they could make to the welfare and the ministry of the church by 
their talents, whether it was singing or visiting the sick or teaching a Sunday school class or whatever. And one lady came up and said very frankly that her talent was criticism. And she expatiated and pulverized a bit on what she could do as a critic. And he listened very patiently and he said, I want you to do like the man in the story and take your talent out and bury it, good and deep. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, this comes from being mixed up a little bit with the word talent. Uh, talent uh, spoke of a certain unit of exchange, a unit of measure, uh, a unit of measure of gold, which according to our own reckoning today with the uh, price of gold would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, and so it's a very important lesson for us to get at. But before we start this, we need to set the background. We have been talking for the last few Sundays on the parables that Jesus told and their relevance to today's Christian. The Word of God is always relevant. God is now, and what he says, he means to be taken seriously. And uh, when Jesus speaks these words, he has come into the last week of his life. Right at the, in, in Luke, this is recorded right after the uh, salvation of Zacchaeus. When Jesus had said, the Son of Man, which is the term for Son of God also, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In the Gospel of Matthew, it comes in the stories that he told in the last week. He wants us to know something of the urgency and the power of his coming again. So he begins it this way, the kingdom of heaven, that is God's reign over our lives, is like a man traveling to a far country. He's going away but he is coming back. He called his own servants to him and delivered his goods. And he said to, to one, he gave five talents. Now that would have been five units of measures of gold. And it was an enormous responsibility. It would be the wages of many, many uh, months or, or longer. Uh, to another one, he, he gave two. And then it tells us that he gave one, but he gave to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on his journey. Now, what is the gift that he is giving? What is Jesus talking about here? I believe the gift is salvation. He brings to us the good news of the gospel. He has entrusted it to us. He wants us to take that gospel, like Richard and Sherry and their children will do, to hard and difficult places because it's important for time and eternity that people be saved. We have lost the preaching of urgency and of judgment, and as a result of it, we have an issue-oriented Christian society which gets away from the fundamental and most basic issue of all, and that's whether or not we will be saved when all of this life is finished. And if the gospel is true, and it is, and if it is meant to be preached and we cannot be saved without it, 
then the most important way that we can invest our time and our money, our abilities, our prayers, and our skills, and our whole life is in the preaching and teaching and communicating of the gospel. Jesus repeated in those last weeks of his life that saying which some scholars think must have been repeated as many as a hundred times. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the urgency of the gospel is here. And Christ has an objective authority regardless of our opinion and about his authority and about the king, regardless of what we think about his authority, the king is king and he is going to reign. He goes away and while he is gone, we see what happens to the gifts which he has made. But he who had received Five talents went out and made five talents more. This is a tremendous thing. He must have been a person of unusual ability. And so God entrusted a great amount to him. I used to work years ago as a consultant to a man that I called a Wall Street typhoon instead of tycoon. He would make Tsar Nicholas II look like a Sunday school teacher. Uh, he was a powerful man, and he knew it, and he knew how to exercise his authority and his power. Fortunately, he did love the Lord. And he used to tell me that I had to cheap a concept of the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. He used to almost anger me by saying that he was sure that if Paul had been a businessman, he would have been the president of General Motors. And that if Peter had been in business, he would have run uh, the Ford Motor Company or General Electric. He was really geared into Wall Street. And he thought that we ought to use our abilities seriously and urgently to draw others to Christ. And uh, we had a lot of discussions uh, about this because uh, uh, I wondered if, uh, what he would do with the text that said not many mighty and not many noble are called. But he would have said that uh, the humble can be made to do bigger things and that God would hold us accountable uh, for what we did with what we had. There's no use to dream about what we can do with what we don't have. Uh, but what we do have is what counts. Well, uh, this is what he's saying here. The one with the five talents goes and he makes five other talents. The one with two takes it and makes two more. But the one with one is the point on which the story turns. The one who has only one talent goes off and digs a hole in the ground and buries it. And then when the master of these considerable gifts come back, comes back and asks for a reckoning, the one who has made five is given five more, the one who has two is given two more, and then the one comes who has made one. And you can almost sense what the problem is. His problem is that he is angry that he was not given more. So he came to the one who had received the one talent and, sa and he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, 
Are you going to say that to God? You didn't give me a fair break, Lord. I couldn't make 1600 on the SAT. I couldn't get into the school that I wanted into. I didn't make all the money that someone else made. I didn't have all the charm or personality or good looks that someone else might have. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. What is your opinion of God and what God has given you? Can you give and receive love comfortably because you are grateful for what God has given to you? This man goes on to indict his master. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid. That's the key of it. I was afraid. He would take no risk. The man with five talents had to risk losing the five talents in order to gain five talents more. The man with two talents had to risk losing the two in order to gain two more. This boy who goes to China with a PhD from Ohio State is investing an expensive education, risking his family, and going because he believes that the gospel of Jesus Christ is important to communicate to someone else. And there is risk involved. What do we do? with the risk? Do we have enough nerve to even speak to someone else about faith in Christ? Now look at the attitude of the Lord. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the one talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. This is a salty parable. He deals sternly here. This is the language of a football coach, uh, which brings me uh, to this point. Uh, stress is a part of life. There is good stress and bad stress. There is a stress that it takes to create or to produce. And so the pressure is on the three. The pressure is on you and me. We have a responsibility for what we will do with what we know about Jesus Christ and the gospel. What we will do with whatever money we have or the brains that our children have and the opportunities that they might be able to use them for. The man who had five talents, was given twice as much work. The one who had two was given twice as much. If a coach has got his team out now, it, soon the professional football players are probably already out working. I remember when the Atlanta Falcons used to rent the Blue Ridge Assembly Ground over here. I used to, I love football, and I used to drive over there to watch them work out. And once in a while that summer, I remember going to the airport when I'd see someone who didn't make it, going out on the airplane to go back wherever he was coming, who had been cut from their training camp. Well, what does the coach do with these people who are training and getting ready for the fall? He's got one guy and he says, I want you to run 10 laps, and this man runs 15 laps. He says, I want you to do 100 push-ups, and the man does 150. 
And then does the coach come over to him and say, look, you're a fantastic athlete. You worked so hard in this summer camp that this fall I'm going to let you stand on the sidelines and watch everybody. You don't really have to go out there and get dirty and play and work hard for 60 minutes. But that's the whole point of the test, is to see whether he can handle it later on. And if he can, then he'll be put out there to work. And that's what this is saying here, that when God, uh, Jesus said unto whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And so uh, we are required to use what we have in the way that will glorify and honor Jesus the most. And that's a responsibility. And it means that we use it at great risk. Now, what about the person who says to me, but you don't know how meager my talents and abilities are. You don't know just what the Lord can do with meager talents and meager abilities. He can bless them in a remarkable way. Uh, Will Boss is here helping us this summer, and he has just finished his first year up at Princeton, and Richard Burnett was here Wednesday night at prayer meeting, and he's just finished his first year. And we were talking about church history the other night. And I can still remember 30-something years ago, Dr. William Robinson telling us about the Reformation taking place in Scotland when a prayer book was imposed upon the Church of Scotland and a, a milkmaid named Janet Geddes. They had no pews in the church, and when you went to St. Giles Cathedral, you had to bring your own uh, chair with you if you sat down. She brought her little milking stool to sit down on and listen to the preacher. And he came out, and he began to read the Roman Catholic Mass. And Janet Geddes reached down and took her three-legged stool and threw it at the pulpit, this big John Knox pulpit. And she said, you'll no read Mass in my lug. You won't read Mass in my ear. And she started a reformation. She was a milkmaid. And yet she had the convictions of her conscience, which she held to. She used whatever little ability she had, and God magnified it, and a whole great reformation came uh, to Scotland. And it shows what can happen there. I remember reading about Gypsy Smith. Uh, uh, Brad Daniel has just come back from listening to John Stott, and John Stott is the one who told me this story. Uh, John Stott is a great Anglican uh, a preacher who is a distinguished gold medalist from Cambridge University in England. And once when I heard him talking about the evangelism of Gypsy Smith, he said that Gypsy Smith used to say that he was a Cambridge man, that he was born in a ditch outside of Cambridge. Uh, he was a poor gypsy. And he didn't say, well, I don't have any ability. But he thanked God when he got saved, and, and it, uh, it, his enthusiasm for the gospel was just effervescent and so powerful that many, many people have been won to the Lord as a result of that man. Still to this day, I see some older people who can still remember hearing him preach and what a blessing he brought to their life. But Gypsy Smith used his ability uh, to glorify God, and so did D.L. Moody, who was a shoe salesman. And uh, uh, he realized that if he could use the uh, acumen that he had in the shoe business, that he could also use it in preaching and teaching the gospel. And after he had gone to, Atlanta, to uh, Chicago, he organized Sunday schools so that he could go out and use them uh, to win people to him. He was such a super salesman. He, uh, he got a pony, and he used to lead it around because children were attracted to ponies and they wanted to see them. And uh, he would lead uh, children to a Sunday school 
And uh, this uh, called him, uh, the church people called him crazy moody because they said he'll do anything to get children uh, to come to his Sunday school. And once Abraham Lincoln came to his big Sunday school in Chicago at, at uh, the very time Lincoln had been nominated as the uh, candidate for president of the United States. And uh, Mr. Moody called on him in the back of his Sunday school to, to speak. And uh, uh, Lincoln addressed that group. Uh, Moody took his meager abilities and surrendered them to the Lord and he magnified them gloriously and used them. And this can be done by anyone. That's what Dick referred to a while ago when he said in Black Mountain or wherever you are. Uh, I remember Woodrow Wilson uh, in one of his, uh, the biographies that I read of him uh, stating that uh, on one occasion he had gone into a barber shop uh, to get a shave and that his face was covered with a towel uh, while they were getting him ready to be lathered up and shaved. That's a glorious feeling to get a big old warm towel around your face. And he'd gone to sleep. And uh, a man came into the barber shop and uh, he waked up because uh, he said there had been some bawdy stories that were being told. And then he noticed that there was a great change in the conversation of the people in the barber shop. And it suddenly turned very much. And uh, uh, he had the towel on his face and his eyes closed. And then it just seemed, he said, almost like a church service. And when it was over uh, and the towel was taken from his face, he said the man who had come into the barber shop and who had inquired about the barber and had been able to say something good about the Lord and to turn the whole tide of the conversation was Dwight L. Moody and that he would never forget it. And what he was talking about was how God could use that ability. Uh, last week I heard a tape uh, on a new curriculum that's being used at, uh, being introduced at Reformed Seminary uh, in Jackson. And Richard Watson, my old classmate, Dr. Richard Watson, uh, at Columbia Seminary is uh, now an academic dean there. And uh, Richard Watson was saying in this uh, lecture about the revised curriculum that one of the things that would be used would be the teaching of Christian classics on holiness and prayer and devotion and practical soul winning. And I'm so thankful that someone is doing that. If I were a professor in the seminary, I think I'd give on the final exam Tell me how you would lead another person to Jesus Christ. Write it out and hand it in to me. What would you say to him? Uh, we're losing that, and I'm thankful that someone is picking it up and coming back to it. Uh, uh, Tricia uh, Hoffman is uh, Dick Watson's uh, daughter, and she is one of our church members here, and she'll appreciate the story about uh, Dick tells about his granddaughter. Uh, she got the word seminary and cemetery mixed up, and she would say cemetery trying to say seminary. And so he tried to explain to her uh, what a cemetery was. And she said, he said, you know what a cemetery is, don't you? And she said, yes, that's a place where dead people live. And, <laughs> and then he said he was afraid the cemetery, seminary was getting a little bit like that. And he, <laughs> he didn't want it to be a place where dead people live. So this parable uh, teaches us that we are responsible. It teaches us that we have a, a reckoning and it also teaches us a reward, and it teaches us to remember. Uh, we are to remember that when we have used what we have to the Lord, the Lord graciously greeted those other people. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
enter into the joy of your Lord. Last week when I tried to speak on the parable of the Father's heart, uh, showing interpersonal relationships in a family, I hope in the few minutes that we had to look at that that you could catch something of Jesus' depiction of God as the Father who embraced the boy who came back dirty and filthy and smelly. He hugged that boy to him. And his heart was full of joy. And all the way through the parable, it's joy over the sheep that's lost and is found, joy over the coin that's lost and found, joy over the boy that's lost and found. Have we lost a sense of joy at someone coming to Christ? If we have, we may seriously question whether we are even in Christ because our heart is certainly not one with the Father. That's what was wrong with that other boy, that elder brother. He had no joy at his brother coming back. He was angry and he wouldn't go in. Do we have joy over someone who comes back to the Lord? That's the key to it here. And so the, the, the great investor in this uh, says to those who have worked hard, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And notice that the man, uh, this third worker, was condemned not because he squandered the money. In fact, uh, there is a late second century document that tries to imitate the Gospels. Uh, there are a lot of those that came out of Egypt, and they are uh, what are called apocryphal. They're false, uh, but they try to imitate a real writing of the Gospel. That's where the Gospel of Thomas came from, and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and the uh, the Gospel of the Nazarene is where this particular episode is uh, repeated. And they tell the story of the parable uh, of the talents. But when they get to the account of the man taking the parable of the talent out and digging a hole in the ground and burying it, and then his master uh, uh, chides him uh, severely because he's dug a hole in the ground and buried it, they don't think that's fair. They think the guy was just playing safe and was timid. And so whoever wrote that uh, Gospel of the Nazarene uh, added a line to it and said he wasted the talent uh, with uh, riotous living and flute players. Now, I don't know why he brought in flute players. Uh, <laughs> someone suggested that they had a problem with rock music then. But uh, uh, anyway, that was what was put into it. Uh, but he, he's not chided for riotous living. He's chided for not doing anything. And I think that if that would be the one sin that creeps into the church in the biggest way, when we get right down to the time that we're going to die and face God, what will we say to him about what we have done with the gospel which he has entrusted to us? with the money that he has entrusted to us, with the opportunities to win others to him, must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him must I empty-handed go. Will we go just with a big vocabulary about our diagnosis of current issues that are abroad? Or will we go with a desire to say to the Lord, I really prayed, and that word prayer is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to think through the implications of. What does it mean for a person to be lost? 
for all eternity separated from God? Can you think of greater devastation than that? A person to be lost? What does it mean? Then are we willing to pray that the Lord would help us to think through that? This element of judgment that comes in here shows why he is severe. To everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. He'll do that to the church too. If the church doesn't use the gospel, it will lose it. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't come from some fire and brimstone evangelist. That comes from the kindest lips that ever spoke a word. That comes from Jesus. And that's what he said. He didn't say it to be mean. He said it because it's true. And he wants us to know that we are responsible and that we are to remember that we are responsible. My heart has been sad last night and day before and the day before, and I talked with Norm Wilhelmy, who keeps up with sports very much, about Lynn Bias, tremendous black athlete who had a testimony as a born-again Christian whose signature on a pair of tennis shoes is worth one million, would have been worth one million dollars. Fantastic athlete. And now the suspicion is that in the excitement and celebration that someone may have lured him into trying crack a souped up version of cocaine which assaults the brain with fierceness and which may have led to a cardiac arrest. The uh, details are not all in yet. But this is a tremendous sadness. Now, what causes this epidemic of cocaine and drug addiction to sweep our country? The friends, according to one person who was with him in that last night, wanted to help him reach a new high in excitement. But the souped-up version of cocaine won't do that. Why is it that our whole country has this epidemic of, of fierce battle with this horrible drug? Is it because we have lost a sense of who our bodies belong to and of what life is all about? How do we want to juice out more? Where is our responsibility? Do we have a, a desire? Do we realize that our life is worth living and it's important to be lived out to God? Do we have that sense of responsibility to him? If we do, then our bodies are yielded over to him. We have to avoid that temptation the church needs to be preaching as never before what it means to give an account to God with the great gift or the small gift or whatever we have. What do we do with the gifts that we've got? Do we witness to anyone else 
Did we ever speak a word for Christ? Did we give anything to missions? Do we pray through when we're talking? Do we think through the responsibility and prayer for others? A talent which God has given us to invest for the sake of the whole world that they might be one to him. We can give to the Lord. And when we do, we enter into the joy that comes with the satisfaction of doing what... Do you think what Jesus did with his life was valuable? To die on a cross? We identify with that when we take his broken body and his shed blood. That's for salvation. And it's not cheap. It costs him everything. And it costs us. And it's received by faith. And it's open to anyone here. In concluding, I mentioned Gypsy Smith. And I can't help but tell you, I'm going to this conference for itinerant evangelists in a few weeks. Gypsy Smith, when he was an old man, was being interviewed by a reporter for a Chicago newspaper who wanted to do one of those things, Where Are They Now? series. And the reporter went out and interviewed him. And he had Gypsy Smith go over some of the highlights in his career. And Gypsy Smith told of preaching in the city of Chicago at one time when a whole number of women in the red light district had come uh, to the meeting that was for women only and he told them of how they could be forgiven and have a new purpose in life and their bodies could be given over to the Lord and they could be pure. And then this reporter writing all of it down said the remarkable thing was that that old man who was in his 80s when he gave the interview he said that old man's eyes filled up with tears and he began to weep. And then he said, he started to talk to me. And he said, I swear, five more minutes and he would have had me. But I had to push it out of my mind and get away from there. I had a story to write. And so he gave up that precious moment when he could have accepted Christ as his Savior and given his life to the Lord. He was detached from wanting to be involved with him. You use it, you get the opportunity in life, you use it or you lose it. Do you know the Lord and what do you do with your knowledge of him? Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, it is inevitably written in the nature of things that we use it or lose it. This speaks to us whether it be physical or whether it be moral even or whether it be mental and yes, whether it even be spiritual. Do we use the gifts which you have given us in calling us unto salvation if we are saved? If we have not been saved, then Father, lead that person this day to seek some place and think through by praying whether there really is anything at all to being a Christian and help them to see that it's worth losing the world to gain Jesus. And Father, for those of us who confess our faith in him, cause us to be done with lesser things and cause us to reach out in his name to others that we might show them by every means possible 
the way of salvation. And now, may the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.